0: it's interesting that we got so much rain today before, uh, so much rain this weekend before I came to, uh, to preach today, because today I wanted to really describe to you the heartbeat of the series that we're doing. If, if you're brand new, or even if you've been here a couple weeks, we're in the middle of a series called Spiritual Drought. Uh, and you may or may not know, I grew up in a very small farming community uh, in southern Ohio. Uh, my school was three miles from my front door And all three of those miles, probably 2.8 of those three miles were lined on either side uh, with corn as far as you could see kind of in the hills of southern Ohio. So I'm used to every day of my life driving by corn and watching it grow and grow and get 8 feet and 10 feet and 11 feet and 12 feet. I know what a a good, healthy field of corn looks like. And knowing that I was going to come and talk to our church about Matthew 13, which we've been doing for three weeks, uh, I was just trying to wrap my head around the spirit of the series, you know, before you, you, know, you bring a Bible study to the church, you try to theme it so people will get the theme of it all month long. And I was driving home. I live off of Pryor Road, and uh, I was driving from 470 to my house in Eagle Creek subdivision, and there's one small cornfield uh, on the way to my house as you pass on the right-hand side of the road. And as I drove by the cornfield, uh, go to that picture if you have it. It, it looked like that. just dead. I mean, corn that had topped out at five feet. It was dry, it was brown, it was parched, it was broken. And I thought as I was driving into my neighborhood that day, having you know, friends whose dads grew corn for a living, I just thought, man, what a devastating summer for people who invested their life in growing crops. And it was like the Lord hit me and said, Christian, that's, that's what so much of the church looks like today. Dry, parched, they've quit growing, And if something miraculous doesn't happen, the crop of Christianity in America is almost done. And we decided to call this series Spiritual Drought, Moving from Parched to Passionate. How are we going to, as a church grow spiritually this year? How are we going to go from being parched spiritually, never feeling like where we are is good enough, to finally getting where God wants us to go? Now, some of you, your yards and your flowers and your bushes look very much like that cornfield. Has anyone lost a patch of grass? Can I hear an amen this year? You know, I mean, my yard, first, you know, I tried to water it. I thought, I'm going to water it, and I'm going to have the greenest yard uh, in, in my subdivision. And then I got my water bill. Uh, and about like a $1,000 later, I thought, I don't even like grass. And, you know I, don't, I, I, you know, I could have a dirt yard for all that I care. I, you know, this, I, I can't pay this much for water. So, you know, I tried to stagger it. I watered it at night. I watered in the morning. Watered on Monday, you know, Wednesday, Friday. And, stay, and, it, and it just, you know, half of my yard died. Uh, and I'm not a real yard type of guy. I'm not good with flowers and trees. And, I, you know, I love to cut my grass. But I'm not good at making it look good. But my neighbor is. Uh, he goes to our church. He's hanging out in the back. His yard always looks good, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to watch, because he had some dead spots in his yard, and I thought, I'm going to watch what he does, and I'm going to do what he does. When he plants grass, I'm going to plant grass, and when he waters, I'm going to water, because, you know, I just, he knows what he's doing, and I don't. So, I, you know, I saw him outside planting grass one day, and I went over, and I said, hey, are, you know, is it, is it time to seed? And he's like, yeah, and I said, do I just need to, uh, like, go buy some seed, and and, th- and throw it down on the grass? And he's like, no, you need, you, know, you need to do a little more than that. And I said, should I like break up the dirt first and get the dead grass away? And he said, no, you, you need to do a little more than that. And, and he he gave me something that I had never heard before because I'm not a, a real green guy. Um, he said, Christian, you need topsoil um, because the dirt in our yards is so hard um, and dry, so it's not really going to grow grass. And he said, if you really want to grow Grass got to have topsoil. Got to lay the topsoil down first. Then you got to rake it in. Then you got to throw the seed down. Then you have to throw more topsoil down because this says that when you have topsoil, you have an excellent environment for growth. And as I was out throwing topsoil down in my yard and thinking about this series, and I, I've been studying Matthew 13 now for two months, it's like the Lord hit me and said, "Christian, what your church needs." is topsoil. You need a layer of people in your church that create an excellent environment for growth for everyone else who's coming in. You know, as we have started our second year at church this year, the goals for the second year, you know, I prayed for six months and said, Lord, what do you want to see happen in the lives of the people who go to our church? And I felt like the Lord gave me three things, that, that in year two, we want to see more passion Out of our people spiritually, how they worship, how they live, how they talk to people, how they pursue Jesus. We want to see growth spiritually. I I want everyone when we get to September of 2013 to say, you know, I I have grown spiritually between last year and this year. I'm further along the line, and I, I want to see us create Christian friendships within our church with people. So we've been highlighting our small group ministry every Sunday, and we'll continue to do that because I believe that's what the Lord wants me to do. But I believe this year more than any other year. The church, this church needs to get into a culture of growth. Now, I had something interesting happen. I, I had been in ministry for more than a decade when I really felt like God spoke to me that I, I needed to start a church. And when God called me to start a church, you know, I've got an undergraduate degree in Bible, and I've got two master's degrees from seminary, and I've done a lot of Bible education stuff. And I'd done ministry for a decade. But when God called me to start a church, you know, I, I thought, you know, I, I want to make Jesus proud in this church. And I thought, you know, if Jesus started a church, what would it look like? What would it focus on? And I went for a year, and all I did was study the life of Jesus and how he led his disciples. And I thought, you know, if we only have a church of 12, like Jesus had 12, one of them ended up leaving the church after he stole some money, so he had 11 guys. Jesus with 11 guys changed the world. So I thought, if I have a church of the right 11 people, and I take them through the right steps, a church can change the world, right? So I started researching, what did Jesus do with these disciples over three years? I looked at the life of the Apostle Paul, who's the only other man outside the original disciples to be called an apostle. I thought, what steps did every one of them go through that clearly is this, the scriptural development plan for Christianity? And, and here were the steps. You can write these down. You don't have to write them down. But here is what I found out as I studied the Bible, not... Not my theology classes, not my previous church experience, not what I learned from conferences. Here's the biblical steps of spiritual development that Jesus took Peter, James, John, and the rest of the disciples through. Here they were, step one, there was a clear moment where they began a relationship with God. Every one of them decided in their heart at some point in life, I'm gonna follow Jesus. Every one of them, number two. Before they did anything else, they then began to engage in authentic relationships with other Christians. There's a second thing that happened to all of them. The 11 disciples that made it and Paul. They all went through these exact same steps. Number three, they then began spending time alone with God in order to know him better. Probably going way too fast for y'all. Number four, they then started fulfilling their God-given purpose on earth by serving God. Listen, I'll post these to our Facebook site later or send out an email so that y'all have this material. Um... After they did that, they all went into the world with the story of Jesus. They all left where they were, and they went to tell other people about Jesus. And then finally, step six, and we don't have these all listed on the same screen, do we, Jan? So we can have them one through six together. Uh, Finally, step six, they all began to live a life of spiritual legacy by making more disciples. They became mentors or coaches or what we would call topsoil. They became, as people, an excellent environment for growth. Now, I'm going to rattle off all those six for you again, and and I want to tell you something to my shame two years ago. What were the six steps that every disciple went through as they developed spiritually? Begin a relationship with God. Get in authentic relationships. Begin spending time with God. Start fulfilling your God-given purpose on earth by serving. Go into all the world with the story of Jesus. Live a life of spiritual legacy by making more disciples. When God revealed to me that this was his plan for people, I looked at that list and thought, oh my gosh, I only have one of these. Like, I'm a pastor that's been in ministry for a decade. And I am not developing spiritually. Now, I've got all kinds of spiritual experience. And I've got all kinds of spiritual knowledge. But I am not developing spiritually. I had begun a relationship with God. I had no Christian friends. I had a lot of people in church that I could play golf with or go out to lunch with, but I had no Christian friends, zero, two years ago. Um, I did not, step three, spend much time alone with God. My my Bible reading, prayer, memory schedule was very hit and miss. Uh, Step four, I wasn't serving God. Now, I got paid to do ministry, but I really wasn't serving God or serving people. Step five, I had never gone into the world. I'd never left the United States of America to go serve or help anyone. And step six, I wasn't making more disciples. I wasn't mentoring anyone. I wasn't helping someone else grow spiritually. And I looked and I thought, holy cow, I've, I've been in church like all my life. I've been in full-time ministry for 10 years. And I am not developing spiritually. And as I looked at that, I thought, God, you, I know you want to have to do things differently. And the picture I got in my mind was, did any of you watch The Price is Right growing up? Like even, even once or twice, Bob Barker with that weird little microphone, it was like real long and skinny. Um, you remember the yodeler game on The Price is Right where that little guy would climb the mountain, you know, and if you got The prices Wrong, right, he would fall off. I kind of pictured spiritual growth, spiritual development, spiritual formation because I've become a junkie of, of, about spiritual growth, spiritual development, spiritual formation. Where people are, where they need to go to fulfill their God-given purpose. Because I I was pretty upset after a lifetime of Christianity, after more than 200 credit hours of Bible college, after a decade in ministry, I I was ticked off that I had gotten it wrong. And I thought, I want to get this right in my life, and then I want to help people get it right in their life. And and I kind of pictured spiritual growth as this little mountain, and I thought, my yodeler is like still at step one. Like all I have done is become a Christian, but nothing more. I'm not developing spiritually. And here's what I learned. Here, here's the scary thing. I realize that in so many North American churches, uh, here's the spiritual development that is important. If people will attend faithfully, serve faithfully, and give faithfully, church doesn't need them to do anything more. But see, the Bible says that attending, serving, and giving, that's not the end of spiritual development development you can do those things and not even be a christian and it was like i was at a place in ministry where if someone would come to church and they would serve in church and give in church it was like that that is like the most awesome christian in our church but that's not what the bible says spiritual development is and then as i studied here's what i learned because i thought that we all existed to serve the church according to the bible the church is a part of god's mission but it's not god's mission for the world The great mission, the great commission is given in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, and Jesus told his disciples. He didn't say, go start churches. He said, go make disciples. And here, we we have gotten into a world where we believe that it's the Christian's duty to serve the church rather than the church's duty to serve the Christians. And if people will come and serve and give, it's like, that's all the church. The church can grow with that. So who cares where everyone is developmentally? And according to the Bible, the fact is this, it's the church's role to make disciples, not the disciples' role to make churches. It should not be your end goal in life to make this a great church. It should be your end goal in life to live your life passionately for Jesus and to recreate your faith in someone else. It should be your end goal in life to be topsoil, that when someone comes in contact with you, your life, your family, the way you live your life is a great environment for them to grow spiritually in matter of fact biblically the formation of God's church came after the foundation of his commission which means Jesus said the most important thing is for every Christian to make more Christians and then after that foundation was given he said you know the environment that that's going to happen in is the church but the most important thing is not for people to go to church the most important thing is not for people to serve the church The most important thing is not for people to give their money to the church. The most important thing is for people to develop spiritually to the point where they're helping others develop spiritually. When that happens, people forever will know Jesus. But we've kind of got stopped at the church. So my focus on a pastor, according to what I believe God has told me through his word, is my job is to focus on growing you, not the church. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I'll build the church. But he tells pastors, you build people. So my goal every week has to be to sit and figure out how you can grow spiritually and let God worry about how the church grows numerically. So that's what we've been trying to do all month long is figure out how you can grow spiritually. Our mission statement as a church, I've given this 50 times at least in our church. We exist to see people far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. Say, so Christian, how, how does that happen? How how do we become people far from God that become passionate and we make a difference in the world? Well, first you need to know this. Our church is all about people. Our church's strategy is all about people. Say, so how how are we going to reach people far from God? Here's the secret People reach people. Say that. People reach people. One more time. People reach people. You know, we have people who aren't even Christians who invite people to our church. One of my favorite guys who comes to our church every now and then is, is not a Christian. He, he will tell me he's not a Christian, but he enjoys our church. His wife's real involved in our church. Uh, and she sent me an email a while back that she has been working on some of her friends trying to get them to come to church. These two families were having dinner together, and she was telling them about the church, and her husband, who's not a Christian, who just randomly goes to our church, hit and miss, told this family, yeah, you ought to go to that church. You'll really like it people reach people. You don't even have to be a Christian to reach people. Anyone can reach people. But here's what the Bible says too. So how do people grow? People grow people. Say that. One more time. People grow people. Say, how am I supposed to grow spiritually? Someone is supposed to teach you. How are my kids supposed to grow spiritually? Someone is supposed to teach them. See, the gospel, the Bible is not about the church, it's about the people in the church. People reach people, people grow people. So as we move into the very heart of this series today, here's my goal for our church, that our church becomes a church of topsoil. The Bible calls it today, if you have your sermon notes that we, that we handed you that look like this, pull them out, grab your pen, we're going to get into the nitty gritty of our Bible study now, the Bible calls it the good soil. Not topsoil, but the good soil in Matthew chapter 13, which we've been studying now. This is our third week. And if you have your Bible, I want you to go ahead to Matthew chapter 13. If you did not bring your Bible today, our ushers are going to come down the aisle, and they're going to pass out Bibles. We are passionate about opening God's Word and reading God's Word here at Journey. And if you don't have a Bible, if you, if you don't have one or if you forgot yours, if you just want to hold one in your hand today while, while we read, just raise your hand, the ushers will wave at you. If you don't have a Bible that you know where it is, keep this one. Put your name in the front, this one's yours. Our church has given away more than 300 Bibles in the last year that we have started to people who they didn't write on hand have a copy of God's Word. We're passionate about giving God's Word to people. And we're studying in Matthew chapter 13 about today the good soil, which is identified as this. Here's what Jesus says the good soil is, and then we're going to go back and read it in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus says the good soil is somebody whose life produces spiritual growth in them and in others. The good soil is someone whose life produces spiritual growth in them and in others. If you take one of those parts out, it's not the good soil. Somebody whose life produces spiritual growth in them and in others. Listen, if one of our year two goals is growth... This has to be the most important message of the year, how not only to grow spiritually, but how to help others grow spiritually. We're in Matthew chapter 13. At least you are. I'm working my way there. We're in the parable of the sower, and here is what the Bible says. We'll read verses one through nine, then we'll drop down to verses 18 through 23. It says, that same day Jesus went out of the house, and he sat down by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat, and he sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and they ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly, but the soil was shallow. When the sun came up, the plants were scorched. They withered because they didn't have any root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Jump down to verse 18 with me. His disciples, and I love to say it, because his disciples said this after almost every message. Awesome message. What did it mean? Um, so Jesus says, you know, thank you, and now I'm going to tell you. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, and he doesn't understand it, the evil one comes, and he snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is a seed sown along the path. Two weeks ago, we talked about people who didn't have a hard heart, but who had a hurt heart. Hurt hearts get protected by a path that doesn't allow God in because something bad has happened to turn them away from God or turn them away from church. So we talked about if you have a hurt heart, how you can begin to grow spiritually again with several dozen people, probably two dozen people that day who said, Christian, pray for me. My heart has been hurt. My heart is hard. I've not been close to God because of something that's happened in the path, and I need to be open to God again. That was two weeks ago. You can go back and watch that online if you missed that message. Verse 20, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. This is what we talked about last week. We talked about Rocky, you may remember, if you were here. Um, Not Balboa, but we used him to remind us that Rocky things can change. And we talked about how to come back to God if you've been away. And we had last week probably another dozen to 20 people who said, Christian, I've been away from God, but I need to rededicate. I need to come back and rededicate my life spiritually. If you weren't here last week, go watch it on the website. Verse 22 says, The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it and they make it unfruitful. Now that's next week. People who aren't growing spiritually because there's too many things in their life that are worrying them, that are stressing them out. As I thought last week, you know, who's the most worried, stressed person? I know, I told you a few months ago, uh, I, I, I just happen to be friends with the Royals General Manager, Dayton Moore. Our kids have played on sports teams growing up. So I called Dayton, who's a great Christian man. And I said, will you come and talk to our church about how you're able to keep living for Jesus in the most high-stress job in the world where half the city's talking bad about you, and you got these young kids that paid all this money, and they're not producing it. Can you come talk to us about how, in a high-stress life, you continue to grow spiritually? And he said, yes. So next week, Dayton is going to be here, and we're going to be talking about the thorny soil together. If you have a friend who's a Royals baseball fan, you need to invite them next week to meet Dayton to hear an update on how things are going, and to be ministered to. Invite someone to church with you next week. But today we're in verse 23. But the seed falling on the good soil. In your Bible, I want you to circle those two words, good soil, or highlight them or underline them, and just somewhere in your Bible write topsoil. That's what this is. This is soil that is overly produced for growth. But the seed falling on the good soil, the seed that falls on topsoil, refers to someone who hears the word and they understand it, and this is the one that produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Now, there's a couple things I need for you to realize today, and here's what I'm looking for this morning. I'm looking for some topsoil at Journey Church International. I'm trying to find out if we have anyone in this church that your life, your history, your passion, your selflessness will allow someone else to get close to you so that they can grow spiritually. My lifelong goal after I have studied scripture is to begin a mentoring program in a church where anyone who comes into a church can be linked with a mentor and in 12 weeks can get well on their way to Christianity because I believe that's the way the Bible says it's supposed to happen. But today is message one of what will be the focus of the next year of finding people who will step up and say, yes, I will mentor the next generation and then in in a few months, casting out the call of who wants to be mentored, who wants to learn how to grow spiritually for a period of 10 to 12 weeks, and then hopefully by this time next fall, to have 25 or 50 people who have gone through that process and who are then ready to return and mentor someone else. See, that's the way it works spiritually, but there's a couple things you need to realize. If you're out there thinking, hey, well, I am the good soil. Listen closely. I hope you are, but if you're not, walk with me there. The last two years, I've tried to become the good soil, by developing much further along spiritually than I was after a lifetime of church and a decade of ministry. Number one, according to Matthew chapter 13, the good soil is recognized for its production, not its condition. I need you to see this. Because some of you are sitting out there and you're thinking, I'm the good soil. You're like I was two years ago. I go to church, I serve, I give, I read my Bible every now and then, I don't do drugs, I'm not a drunk. Don't look at pornography anymore. I invite my neighbors to church every now and then. Like I, I am the good soil. Christian of all the people. I'm probably one of the most spiritual people in the room, Christian. I'm not talking about your condition. I'm talking about your production. You see, good soil is known for its production. The good soil doesn't boast about how spiritual it is, but the good soil says, hey, these three or four guys or gals spiritually, I've actually helped them get to where they are. I am producing the next generation spiritually. I love what James 2 says about not the condition of our heart, but the actions of our life. In James chapter 2, James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, said this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, but they don't have any deeds? They claim to have this condition spiritually, but they don't have any actions. Can that kind of faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but he doesn't do anything about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence? that faith without deeds is useless. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, not by faith alone. So the Bible over and over tells us that good soil, top soil, spiritual development is an issue of production as much as it's an issue of condition and let me tell you where the church went wrong because in the New Testament we had it right today I think we 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 have it backwards in many places Uh, you're probably not familiar with this term but in about 300 AD when Constantine was the Emperor of Rome He was out at battle. He fell asleep. He had a dream that that an army was coming at him, and they had crosses emblazoned on their shields. And at that moment, he converted to Christianity. And because he was the emperor of Rome, he made everyone else in Rome convert to Christianity as well. And at that point in time, the church began to break down because the monastic movement started. You say, what's the monastic movement? Monks. Y'all know what a monk is? Long robe. Long robe. Little patch of bald spot on the back. I mean, you know, y'all get that, right? You know what a monastery and a monk is. This all happened at this time. You say, why did it happen? Let me tell you why it happened. In 300 AD, the vast majority of people that were in the Christian church were in hiding. They were searched for all over the empire to be killed. They were persecuted. They were in prison. And here's what the Roman government had done all over the Roman empire. They would go into these house churches. They would break them up. And they would say, renounce your faith. And live, or you continue to confess this man named Jesus, the Christ, and will kill you, or will beat you, or will put you in prison. So the vast majority of people said, "I'm out. That's fine. I, you know, I never, even, I don't even know him. You know, they're like Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane, or or the High Priest courtyard. Like J- Jesus, what? Like I thought this was a bunko club. You know, I don't. I, I, you know. So most of the people left the church, and only the strong stayed. So what happened about 20 years later when Constantine said, everyone can be in Christianity now, all these flakes that quit came back to church. And the spiritual people, instead of accepting them and helping them, they said, you quit on God, we don't want to be around you, and they left. And all the spiritual people went to the deserts, and they basically established their own monastery churches. Because they said, we don't want to deal with unspiritual people. You quit on God, we don't want to have anything to do with you. And it started this division for the last 1700 years where spiritually minded people don't want to have anything to do with people who aren't as spiritual as them. We like to judge them, we like to talk about them, we like to talk about the things they do, their habits and addictions, we like to talk down to them, but we don't want to pull anyone beside us, make them our friend and say, hey, let me help you get to where you need to be, because I was once where you are, and let me show you how to get where we are. And there was this division. It's one of the greatest tragedies in the church when the spiritual people in the church left everyone else behind. And the only people who went to church were those who were kind of half in, half out, because all the spiritual people left. It's one of the great tragedies in church history. And what I would want to tell those monks, what I would want to tell people today who live in their spiritual castles and don't want anything to do with people who aren't as spiritual as they are. I would say this, what God said to me. Spiritual wisdom and spiritual experience without spiritual reproduction misses the mark of what God has called us to do. Spiritual wisdom, I know everything. Spiritual experience, I'm really involved. Without spiritual reproduction, I'm helping someone else become a mature Christian. Misses the mark. You are not developing if you're not developing someone else. You need to write that down. I just thought of that. I didn't even have it written down, but that, that helped, uh, that, that's a good line. You are not developing if you're not developing someone else. Plain and simple. That's the way God made it out to be. So the good soil is recognized for its production, not just its condition. Well, I only listen to Christian music. That's great. Who are you mentoring? Well, I don't really like people who use foul language or I don't really like people who listen to country music, or, you know, I struggle to be around people who don't read their Bible. You are missing the mark. Don't go live in your monastery. You're going to leave the world behind that needs someone like you to help them grow. The good soil, topsoil, is recognized for its production, not its condition. Listen, the condition of this stuff, according to the bag, is good. It better be I paid for it. But if it doesn't produce grass in my yard in the next week or two, I'm going to be upset. I paid for production, not condition. God is looking for a church filled with people who will produce new believers and produce new growth. Develop people so that you can develop as well. Number two, as we read through scripture, we find out that becoming the good soil is much more about example than instruction. See, a lot of us can stand up and tell someone how to be a Christian, but a lot of us, our daily life doesn't show them how to be a Christian, but Jesus, and if we look at, you know, the, the man who was probably the second most important man in the New Testament, his name is Paul, they showed a lot more than they told people how to live for God. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, one of my favorite verses, one of my favorite lines from the Apostle Paul, he said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, listen, follow my example As I follow the example of Christ. I don't have all the answers. I don't know everything. But if you just watch my life. You will see what a Christian looks like. I got a call this week. From a. um, We have someone in our church. Who is very close friends. With uh, someone who is a Muslim right now. But struggling in their faith. And they said will you talk to this person. And answer their questions about Islam. And being a Muslim. And I said I will try. And he called me. And we talked for 20 or 30 minutes, had a ch- terrific talk. And there, was, there were several questions he asked me that I said, I don't know the answer to that. But I can just tell you what's happened in my life. Like, I, don't know you, I don't know the answer to that. But I can tell you what Jesus has done for me. See, Christianity and spiritual development and leading someone is much more about example than instructions. I love what Jesus said in, in, Luke, 9, in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. You know, a lot of people wanted Jesus. Say, hey, tell me what to do, tell me what to do, tell me what to do, tell me what to do. And Jesus said, I'm not telling you nothing. You can hang out with me and learn it, or you can go home. But like, I can't do this Christianity thing in sound bites of 20 to 30 minutes. I, I, need, you to, I need you to be with me so I can show you. In Luke 9:57 through 62, here's what it says. It says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens, birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He's like, I I don't know where I'm going on this journey, but if you want to hang out with me, you'll learn a lot. And the guy said, yeah, maybe not. Verse 59, he said to another man, follow me. And the man replied, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, as difficult as that sounds, most scholars will tell us that guy's dad probably wasn't dead. It was standard that you would not leave the family or the family business until your dad had died. So this guy was saying, yeah, one day I'll follow you, but not right now. Jesus said, all right, that's not going to work. Um... Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. You have to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. He said, quit putting your life on hold. Verse 61, still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Listen, nobody who just wants soundbite Christianity so one day they can go to heaven is developing spiritually. There's more to spiritual development than just hearing and knowing you, you have to do Jesus always asked people to follow. Jesus never asked anyone the question we ask people. Will you accept me? Will you believe in me? Jesus said, will you follow me? He, he set the bar much higher than our churches do when he asked people to follow. He said, I, I need you to follow me. I need you to go where I go. I need you to do what I do. I need you to become like I am, and then you'll, you'll show yourself a true follower of mine because I can't just teach you what you need to know. I, I have to show you. So follow me. Listen, Christianity, you might write this down. Christianity is a lifestyle to live, not a lesson to learn, all right? Christianity is not learning the answer so you pass the test. Christianity is a lifestyle that you live, not a lesson that you learn. So as we develop others spiritually, it's more about being a good example than just teaching people what to do. Spiritual reproduction is much more. I like this new phrase. I never heard it until about two years ago. Uh, little Casey one day needed to take a stuffed animal, my daughter, to school. Uh, and she said, Dad, I have to take a stuffed animal to school. Is it okay if I take a stuffed animal to school? And I said, yeah, that's fine. You can take a stuffed animal. I said, why? Uh, why do you need to take a stuffed animal? And she said, because we have show and share. I said, Don't you mean show and tell? No, Dad, show and share. I said, show and share? Yeah, Dad, show I said, no, you like show and tell. Like you stand up. She said, no, Dad, show and share. I said, All right back off. so you know that was the week of conferences so i asked the teacher i said what's up like i've never heard show and share we always did show and tell so well we you know we try to teach the kids you shouldn't be telling people what to do you should just be sharing things i think the church needs to quit telling people what to do and we need to start sharing our lives with people who don't know jesus yet see the difference I mean, it's easy to go to work and tell someone everything they're doing wrong. It's something different just to take them out to lunch and like ask about their family and their friends and develop a relationship and begin to share your life with them. You see, spiritual maturity is more about example than instruction. And we need to show and share our life with other people. Listen to me. Those of you who have been horribly divorced but happily married again, do you know that God wants to allow your life to be a roadmap for someone else who's going through that dip in their life so they can look at you and say, I see you and I see your wonderful second marriage and I see how much you love your husband and wife and I see how God has blessed you with kids and you're sharing your life with me gives, gives me hope. Those of you in here who have lost your jobs, you've gone through a real difficult time and only to, to see God show himself faithful. Do you know there's people in this congregation right now that are unemployed that need you to share your life with them those of you who have gone through the death of a relative or maybe you've lost everything and slowly worked your way back do you know there's people in this church and in this community that need you to share your life with them to give them hope they don't need a lesson they need a friend they need someone willing to be a friend to show and share their life you know most of the new testament documents except for the the gospels matthew mark luke and john the four biographies of jesus life and the book of Acts, which is really a history book, do you realize that Romans through the rest of the New Testament, they're really just mentorship documents? All they are is one friend who has shared his life with a group of people saying, hey, here's what I would do spiritually. They're just mentorship documents. Here's how you need to live your life. We need people in our church that won't just tell someone what a good marriage is. They'll show them. We, we need men in our church who won't just tell someone how to be a good husband and women who will tell someone how to be a good wife, we need someone who, who will show people. We, we don't just need people that tell people how to deal with discouragement and hurt and disappointment. We need people who will show others how they've come through that and what God has done. We don't need people to tell others how Jesus has changed their life. We need people who will show others how Jesus has changed their life. You see, if we have people in our church who will intentionally begin to do this, we will see lives not changed, but transformed from the inside out they'll be totally different people if we'll develop some topsoil in this church it will say hey I'll give my life to help develop someone else so the good soil is more example than instruction but but here's the last thing about the good soil the good soil according to Matthew 13 is the hope of the future every other soil that we have studied that we will study the path the rocky soil the thorny soil None of them are able to get past their own problems. They spend their whole life trying to grow spiritually. The good soil is the only one that reproduces anyone. I believe there's some people that have a a hurt, hard heart. And eventually you're going to get over it spiritually. And for you, you'll be okay, but you'll never reproduce anyone. I believe there's some people who like we talked about last week with the rocky soil. You struggle to follow through on your decisions, and one day you're going to make a commitment, you're going to follow through, and it's going to be good for you, but you'll never really get to the point where you reproduce anyone else spiritually. Next week we'll talk with Dayton about, you know, how to live through stress and keep growing spiritually. Some of you will get there, but only a very few, one out of four according to our statistics in Matthew 13, only a very few will ever get to the point where their life changes another life, transforms another life. And some will transform 100, some 60, some 30. The number's not important. The reproduction is. These people help transform someone else's life. It's really interesting. In Luke chapter 22, 31, we kind of find out the devil's strategy to mess up spiritual growth. And in Luke 22, 31, you don't have to turn there, but Jesus is getting ready to die. His A number one student, like the top guy that he's mentoring, his name is Peter. And he says this to Peter. He's getting ready to go to the cross and die. And he, he pulls Peter aside and he said, Listen, Peter, Satan is asked to sift you. Sifting wheat is literally when, when you would take a wheat stalk, you would break it in half, you would empty it out, and you would separate the good from the bad. He basically said, Satan has asked my permission to crush you spiritually, to get you all tied up with your own issues, so much so that you can never help anyone else. But here's what he said to Peter in Luke 22:31. He said, Satan has asked for us, but I'm praying for you. And he said, When you get over yourself, help others. See, we have a church that's so consumed with either church or self that we never help others. Jesus said, When you get over your own stuff, help others. Help others, help others, help others. So, what is our church looking for? As we're not, I mean, we're not even a month into year two of our church. What are we looking for? that could allow our people to grow to a point where they develop properly spiritually. We're looking for people who are spiritually passionate, of course. We're looking for people who are spiritually passionate. Number two, we're looking for people who are spiritually committed. We need people who are living this stuff, not hoping one day to live it, but people who are living this stuff. We need people who are spiritually engaged they're serving, they're in small groups. These people, their life is an example for what anyone would need to do to grow spiritually. And then we're looking for people who are spiritually selfless. Looking for people who will do more than the average person at our church. The average person at our church, we have to do three things every week. Come to church, go to small group, volunteer. That's it. We're looking for people who will do one more thing. You say, well, you know, that, that's a lot. I know, I'm not looking for everyone. I'm looking for like really special people. I had one of the coolest moments of my life this week. I have a former youth ministry kid. I have a lot of former youth ministry kids in the military. But I have a former youth ministry kid who apparently is, uh, is, is becoming, um, well, he's going into special forces. And I got a call from a very strange person a month ago. Um, and uh said, is this Christian Newsom? I said, yeah. I said, this is the U.S. intelligence office. Um, and we need to sit down with you and discuss your past relationship with this person because he may go into uh, foreign intelligence as a special op. Wow, that is cool. I said, great, what do you need to know? And they said, we can't do it over the phone. We have to sit down. I said, we have to sit down in person? And I said, yes, sir. These, These types of references, they're so important. They take a little more. We have to sit down in person. So we sat down in person last week, and I told Danielle I've never felt more like Jack Bauer in my life. I mean, she was asking me questions that I was like, you know, uh, you know I, like I wanted to just start chanting USA. She was, you know, was asking me about all these scenarios and this or that, and, uh, you know, counter espionage and all this crazy stuff. And I thought, this is the coolest thing ever, you know. I left and I called the kid's dad, and I said, what is he doing? Like, is he Jack Bauer? And he's like, "Yeah, kind of. He's just studying to become that. Uh, I mean, it, it was crazy but she told me, this type of person has to do more. Topsoil does more. They're not counting, oh, I was at church for 60 minutes. You know, I already went to small group this way. I served. No, they want to live their life to see the next generation produced and developed. You know, in 2007, um, I participated in the Chicago Marathon. I, I hate to say I ran the Chicago Marathon it really wasn't running. It was very slow jogging and kind of walking, and it, it, it wasn't pretty, um, and actually at, tw- at the 20-mile mark, they made a stop because someone had died. It was the hottest Chicago marathon on record, and the whole time I was running the race, you, I mean, fire trucks were coming in and out of the course, police cars, ambulances, mean you could hear sirens all over the city. There were people laid out on the street, um, and when I got to mile 20, someone had died, so they shut the race down, uh, and they made us walk the last six miles. You can imagine after training for six months, um, they turned all the fire hydrants on. So the fire hydrants are like blasting you on the street. That a police helicopter flying over the race on a bullhorn saying, stop running. The conditions are too dangerous. It's like, man, what happened? Because if you've ever run in a marathon or any kind of road race, I mean, every mile there's water and, you know, I mean, this thing should be taken care of. And here's what they found out happened. The runners who were the best I was not one of those. The runners who were the fastest, the runners who were at the front, as they would go by what they called those hydration stations, here's what the Chicago News reported in the days after the race as to why so many people got dehydrated and why so many people got injured and why one person died and another person was in ICU they said the people who were in the best shape, the fastest people, the first ones to get to the table, they said, you know, we, we always have enough water for everyone. Well, they said something happened that's never happened before. The people who were up front, they took two glasses of water and then they would drink them and then they would take six or eight glasses of water and they would pour them on themselves because they were so hot. And literally by the time the people came that needed the water the most, it was gone because the good guys used it all, not only to drink but to shower in. And I see that happening sometimes in the church where like the people who are developing the fastest spiritually want to run so far ahead that they don't leave anything for the people who need spiritual help the most. They don't leave 10 minutes or an hour a week or a weekend a year. They don't leave any time to help anyone else because they're just growing so fast spiritually. We need people who are spiritually selfless. Man, I read this week, about a marathoner uh, by the name of Bill Rogers, who in the early 70s held the American world record for the marathon. Great, great story. Uh, And in the kind of the mid-80s, after he had found his fame and fortune, he got paid to just go run races, and he was running a 10K in Omaha. And there was a guy in this Omaha race, 10K is six miles, um, who was in the race who had had a stroke several years earlier, but it had always been his goal to run a race, and Bill Rogers was his hero. So they started out the race, and this man in his late 50s, with much of his left side paralyzed, set out to run this six miles. Uh, Bill Rogers, of course, won the event. In less than 30 minutes, he completed the six miles and won the race. And this other man, two hours, two and a half hours, was lumbering along the course. People were laughing at him. They eventually opened up the course. A car almost hit him because they didn't tell him, hey, we opened up the streets. And when almost everyone had gone home, and they had shut down everything, this man by the name of Bill Broadbent, who had had a stroke, came limping to the finish line, and as he got to the final 10 feet, Bill Rogers stepped off the sidewalk with his medal around his neck. He put his arm around the man. He helped carry him to the finish line, and then he took his gold medal off his neck, and he hung it on the other guy and said, you're the real champion today. How many Christians in our church We'll take their medal, put it on someone else's neck, and say, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you become what God wants you to become. Because how would any of us have been here if no one would have helped us? We can't run so fast that we forget everyone who's behind us. If we want to develop the way that God has called us to develop. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. And I usually close with prayer. I'm going to go to the connection card before prayer today. I'm going to ask everyone in here right now to take your connection card. Those of you who are guests, those of you who are regular tenders, everyone in here, I want you to take your connection card right now. Just hold it in your hand. I don't want you to write anything on it, but just hold it in your hand. Here's my goal for our church this year. We can't grow without topsoil. People in our church can't grow without topsoil. People in this community can't grow spiritually without topsoil. We need some topsoil in our church. People who have been there, who have done that, who may be very busy, but who would say, I'll do extra. I'll be trained, and I will attempt to pour my life into others because I realize I don't develop until I'm developing someone else. Now, my prayer today is that we'll have between 15 and 25 people who would say, I think God is calling me and can use me to be a mentor. Because not, not everyone is there yet. A lot of us need a mentor to get there. But my prayer today is that there are some people in here who have kind of been running the race, drinking the water, pouring the rest on yourself, not even worried about what's going on behind you, that are willing to be a Bill Rogers and stop and say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to wait for the last guy in the race. We'll make sure he finishes too. And here's what I'm asking you to do. We're going to have a moment of prayer. And then if you're willing to go through a mentorship training program and next spring and summer and fall you're willing to mentor a group of five to seven people spend time with them outside of church have them in your home have them over for dinner help them really understand what it means to be a Christian then I'm gonna ask you on the back of this connection card to just write one word topsoil and we're gonna in the next few weeks we're gonna call you we're not gonna bother you between Thanksgiving and Christmas we're all too busy during that time of the year but in January We're going to fire up mentorship training. And in the spring, summer, and fall, our church is going to become a mentoring church. The biblical word is a discipling church. Most people don't know what that means. We're going to create more mature Christians by doing life with them. But it's an extra commitment. Let's pray together right now. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Realizing that maybe the way we have done church, seen church, experienced church our entire lives has not been your plan for spiritual development. And Lord, maybe there are some in here today who are just like I was two years ago, that they would consider themselves the most uh, mature, spiritually developed Christian in the world until we look at the development steps of the disciples and the Apostle Paul. I say, you know what, I don't, I don't really have all those. And God, I pray that you will use our church to be a church that doesn't finish the race ahead of everyone in our community that so desperately needs Jesus, but a church that will slow down and run at someone else's pace, take our spiritual medal off, put it around someone else's neck, that we might help them finish the race too. God, we need some topsoil in our church, producing Christians in our church, not just really good conditioned Christians in our church. Forgive the church, Lord, for the last 1,700 years of this monastic movement where the most spiritual just don't have time for anyone who doesn't love God as much as they do. That's wrong and it's sin. It breaks the path of spiritual development. Help us to be a church. It slows down and brings others with us. Speak right now to the hearts of the men, the women, the students in this room. Who would say, I'll be topsoil. So- I'll, top I'll live my life not only concerned about my spiritual growth, but the growth of others. And I will be a producing, reproducing, developing Christian who's developing others. Speak to their hearts right now. And in Jesus' name, we're getting ready to say amen. When I say amen, if God has spoken to your heart today to take a step of faith and consider becoming topsoil, consider becoming a mentor, The people in our church and community will train you so you know exactly what you're doing. But we need people who are willing to say, I'll give my my life, part of my life, to help someone else. And on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to open your eyes, take your connection card, and just simply write one word on the back, topsoil, and then finish filling it out. Speak to the hearts of men and women right now, Lord, so that we might become a church that fulfills your great commission, one person at a time, because people reach people, and people grow people. We ask this in Jesus' name, one, two, three, amen. If God has spoken to your heart, one word, topsoil, just topsoil. Man, I feel really bad because I'm hoping right now there's several dozen people in our church who say, man, I really want to be mentored. We're not ready yet to mentor you. But we will do our best to help you grow spiritually. On your sermon notes, you'll see the next steps. Man, if you really feel led that you need to start growing, you need to start moving, here's what you can do. This week, get deeper into God's Word. If you've been reading your Bible, start memorizing Scripture. If you, if you started memorizing Scripture, start outlining the Bible. You can always get deeper into God's Word regardless of where you are. Uh, engage at our church. Go to small groups. Start volunteering. On the back of this connection card, you can write, tell me about small groups. Tell me about volunteering. Maybe today you recommitted your life. Maybe you want to become a Christian. You can give us all that information. And then finally, hopefully, some of you will become topsoil. And you'll help me, Pastor Ryan, and others lead people in this church forward from where they are to where they they need to be.